This morning I want to talk to you about what I think is one of the most important theological concepts of all of the Christian faith, and that is uh, grace. I know we use that word a lot. In fact, we name congregations after it, uh, schools, sometimes even our children. And do we have any graces here this morning? Any grace? Ah, not, not in the room, no. But we use that word a lot, but I think oftentimes we maybe don't fully comprehend all of what it means, because there's lots of facets to grace. And in many ways, I'm convinced that Jesus, in all of his brilliance, he shares just a few short stories, and in sharing just these few short stories, um, communicates so much about this, this concept of grace that uh, I think what we need to do is just listen. Even more than like volumes of theological books, Jesus communicates this wonderful truths. And so we want to look at a story that he shares in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal. It's probably a story that you've heard many times. Maybe not, but, but likely you have. And it's a story, I think, at the heart of it, about these two brothers and a father that reveal the profound truths about how we relate to God and the depth of God's grace. So here's what I want us to do this morning, okay? I want you to imagine just for a moment that you've, we all together as a group went to a theater and we went to a show and we saw this play, this drama, this two-act play called The Prodigal. And we went and experienced that together and then we all decided we'd come back together and we'd have a conversation about what we had just seen and heard. In some ways, that's what I wanted to do today is I want us to have a conversation about what Jesus is saying. I want us to kind of pause and look at different parts of this story and pull back sort of the veil and say, what is the meaning of this? Why is it that you felt emotion maybe when you saw this or heard this? I want us to look at Jesus' context and understanding of, of why he was sharing this story and the time that he shared it. So let's begin. We're going to begin by reading in Luke chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you can open it up and follow along. It's going to be on the screens. But the very first part of, of this story, we're going to look at the context of the story. It begins with these two verses in Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So what I want you to see in this context of, the, of, the, of this story that Jesus is about to share, there, there are two groups of people. The first group, tax collectors and sinners, were all excited to hear about Jesus, which is fascinating to me. Throughout the book of Luke, Jesus is caught hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And they're the ones who want to come hear him teach. And then you have this whole other group, this insider group, the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And what do they say? Well, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. There's this sort of insider and outsider thing. And it's the outsiders, the people who are outside the community of faith that long to hear what Jesus has to say. And this is the context in which he tells these stories, really, which I believe are about grace. 
He's talking to these two groups of people. And then he launches into two really quick stories. One is a story of a lost sheep, and the next story is a story of a lost coin. And I think what we need to know in context, again, is what, what's going on there. Well, we know in both those stories, something of value is lost. Then there's this all-out search to find that thing, whatever that thing is, the sheep or the coin. And when that valuable thing is found, there is a celebration an absolute celebration. So the owner, or the master, if you will, of whatever they lost is found, there's a celebration. And then he, Jesus launches into this last story. So here we are, act one, scene one of the prodigal. Let me read. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Let me just stop right there just for a second, okay? Here's where we're going to kind of pull back the veil. In just a few short words, Jesus is exposing a lot. Now, just like you and I today, oftentimes when a a patriarch of a a family may, may pass, there's a passing of the estate, And that was true even in Jesus' day. But for a son to come to his father before he was dead was like simply like saying this, look dad, I want your stuff, but I really don't want you. In fact, I wish you dead. Give me my stuff so that I can go live my life. That's really what the younger son is saying. Now, typically in Jesus' day, the estate would go first and foremost to the firstborn son, two-thirds of the estate. But for the younger son, he was usually entitled to at least a third of the estate. And so what he's saying, Dad, give me my stuff so I can go live my life. Now, before we sort of condemn this younger son, Let me just remind us that oftentimes I think we have a conception about what it means to sin, and and many people do this. They think it maybe is a list of do's and don'ts, but at the heart of it, what the Bible teaches is this, that it is a rebellion. It's like saying to the Father, I want your stuff, but I want to live life my own way. I just want to live my, my life my own way. Give my stuff, bless me, give my stuff, bless me, but I want to live life my own way. And so here's the first facet of grace that I want you to see in the story. It's amazing that the father withholds judgment on the son because he could have cast him out. He could have disowned him. He could have said, you know what, son? You want your stuff? Here's the deal. You're out. No, instead, he endures the shame and sort of the scorned love of the son, and he literally sells his estate, or a third of his estate, and he gives it over to his son, which would have meant loss of reputation in the community and and all kinds of things, certainly loss of wealth, and he gives it to the son. So what is it, this lesson on grace, that we can learn in just these couple of verses Well, the Father does not treat us as we deserve. The Father does not treat his Son as he deserves. 
It's amazing. He lets him go his own way. He just lets him go. And he shows great patience and love. A long suffering, if you will. And he lets him go. He even endures the loss of honor and this rejection and lets him go his own way. We move to scene two in the story. It says, not long after that, the young son got together all he had. In other words, he collected up the stuff. And he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living, it says. And after he had spent everything there, there was a famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Let me just pause again. You know what this, Jesus in the storyteller, what he's doing? He's showing how far this younger son had moved away from the father. I mean, wild living. He's rejecting everything about the father, all his values, everything about the fa- father. In fact, he ends up being helping a pig farmer. <laughs> which is absolutely about as far away as a Jewish young man can be. Because pigs were unclean. And there he was, longing to eat the food of the pigs. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a place in your life where you longed to eat the food of the pigs. You thought that would be a step up. But I can tell you I've been close Several years ago, my wife and I were in a hotel to try and get away out of the chaos of, of our life at the time. I had just confessed to her and to my church and to about anyone who would listen this pattern of sin and, and all of this stuff. And it was, it was uh, hell on earth. It was really hard. And I remember going into this hotel and in the middle of the night, I go into the bathroom, I couldn't sleep, and I, all I had was this thought, what in the world have I done? And at that moment, the only thing that mattered, the only questions that I have is, is there hope? And is there help? I got to believe that there's something like that going on in this younger son who's starving to death, he's feeding pigs, and he's longing to eat what they're eating. That's how bad it's gotten. And then, I love what it says in the very next verse. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of the father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to the father. In that moment of desperation, of not going, knowing where to turn, he finally gets up and he turns back to the father. He just turns back to the father. And then he starts making this bargain. <laughs> it's like, you know, I don't need to be a son anymore. 
If I could just be like a slave, if I could just get in the door, life would be better. And he starts this whole sort of bargaining and narrative in his mind. I'm not worthy, but I'm hoping there's something there for me. Here's a lesson I think some of you may fully be aware of. When you are desperate enough, you realize that grace is the only way out. When you are desperate enough, you realize that grace is the only way out. And he goes. So here we are. We move to scene three. This is an amazing sort of turn. The father has let his son go. But now the son, in the desperation of his sin, turns back to the father. And it says in verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I have this image in my mind of this dignified kind of Jewish man who has it all together, but in that moment, he's thrown off all dignity to the wind. And he's running to his son, and he grabs him in a great big hug, and he starts kissing him and sort of loving him. It's an amazing picture. This pursuing, risk-taking love that we hear, heard about in the first two parables, this all-out search, we see it in the father who's loving this young son simply because he turned back to the father. And then, it's so interesting, the son, he's got this little narrative going on in his mind, right? I think partly because he's viewing grace through his own lens. Like, could I possibly forgive or give myself a second chance? No way. I'll just be a slave. I'm not worthy. This sort of narrative that, that maybe you and I say to ourselves. And the son says to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Listen to what the father, what happens. He just ignores it. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Who would have had the best robe? The father would have had the best robe. He says, bring a, a, a ring. Put it on him. A symbol that he belonged in the family, that he was restored back to that place. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You see, the valuable thing that was lost has now been found. And it's time to celebrate. And the father says to the son, you are my son. You belong in this family. Here's one of the things, one of the key things I want you to remember today. I think this is, this is true. It's been true for me. I don't know. Maybe it's been true for you too. One thing I have struggled with to understand is that I often underestimate the depth of God's love for me. 
And I think the young son underestimated the love of the father for him. Throughout my journey, my faith journey, one of the people who were really important helping me understand the, the goodness of God and the grace of God was Brennan Manning. I heard him uh, speak and I've read his books. Maybe some of you know that name. In fact, I named my first son, Brennan, after him. But he helped me understand in, in a tangible way about his own journey of understanding the depth of God's love for him, for us. And he says it this way, he said, it's based not on a feeling, but a fact. And he goes on by saying his own journey. He says, you know what, when I was a young man, I served in the Korean War, and I was in in the war, and I was in a foxhole with with a mate of mine, and we were on watch overnight. And as morning came about, there was, it was just calm, and all of a sudden there was a firefight just like that that broke out. And in my foxhole, there was a grenade that was thrown in into the hole. And we kind of looked at each other, and my friend across the way just looked at me, and then he dove and, and put his, his own body on the bomb, on the grenade. And he saved Brennan's life. For the life of Brennan, he couldn't figure out what was going on. He didn't understand, and so he started searching. Now, did did my friend ever communicate to me how much he loved me? Did he did he show me that that I he couldn't think of those things? And so he started scouring, looking for notes, looking for any kind of evidence that this friend was demonstrating some sort of love for him. And in fact, he was so obsessed when he got out of the army, he went to Philadelphia, where this friend was from, and he went to the house where he grew up, and there was the mother of his, of his friend. And he began grilling her and said, you know, does, did he demonstrate any kind of affection for me? Did he write? Did he talk to you about me? I'm, I'm kind of interested. Why in the world would he do such a thing? And she, he kept asking and kept dr- grilling, what is going on? And finally the mom, <laughs> she slammed her fist down on the table and said, Brennan! Don't you understand his love for you? He died for you. Is there anything more that needs to be said than that? Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. Christ died for us. You don't have to wonder about God's love for you, his passion for you, his desire for you and he to be in relationship together. Don't ever underestimate the love of the Father. Even if you've been far away, all he wants is for you to turn towards him And he will restore you. That's an amazing thing. But this is a story about two brothers. So I want us to go to Act 2. Act 2, we introduce to the older brother. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now here you have a picture of the good son, the one who hasn't traveled far from the father, but it's interesting, maybe even doing the father's work, but he doesn't understand the heartbeat of the father. He's unaware of what the father is doing. And in fact, we read in the very next verse, he's angry. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never obeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. That's like, that's like you know, like a bad chicken for us. He didn't give me a bad chicken. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Here's one who's been so captivated by the work of the Lord, he's forgotten the Lord of the work. The father. He's distracted. And his relationship with the father is now one of contract. You know, if I do good, then you ought to treat me good. I deserve. And in fact, in some ways, he's doing the very same thing as his younger brother. Look, I want the stuff. So let's just make an arrangement. I'll do my stuff. You give me your stuff. So I can really live my life. Yeah, it's not far from you, but... And he misses the heartbeat of the father. Now, listen to what the father does in this last scene. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. It's interesting. The older father gets angry, but the father goes to him. He pursues him. He leaves the party to go be with the older son, and he pleads with him, son, come, come be with, with us here. We're celebrating this, this valuable thing that was lost and now is found. Come, please. I want you to experience that too. But he says to him, everything that I have is yours. And then the story ends. We don't know what the older brother does. It's interesting. I think one last lesson that I want to share with you. Grace, God's love, is for those who know they need it. So if you are in that category today, what I'd encourage you to do is simply this, to take a step towards the Father and he wants to run to you and embrace you and have a party with you and fellowship with you and be with you. Whether you're the younger son or the older brother, come, trust me. I have good things for you. Let's pray.
Lord God, thank you so much for this reminder of your extravagant love. Even when we are wayward and lost, or even if we've grown cold to your very heart and the very things that uh, bring joy to you. God, I pray that we would have the courage today to recognize our need for your grace and the need to be in fellowship with you. Lord, we don't deserve what you have to give, but we are grateful and we are thankful that you long to give it. I pray today that we would know your love, maybe in a new way. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.